You're listening to Build for Impact, brought to you by MarketScale, with your host, Daniel Heward. Good morning, everyone. This is Daniel Heward. Welcome to Build for Impact. I have the distinct honor of welcoming a lead fellow, a fellow lead fellow, and a American Institute of Architects fellow, dear friend, John Harrison. Uh, to the program today. John's an architect and sustainability leader with over 25 years of diverse experience in both private practice and as well as an owner's representative. Uh, He actually helped build a volume program for USGBC and LEED and with that amazing accomplishment managed to certify uh, over 1600, that's right, 1600 uh, projects in 21 different countries. Uh, John is an absolutely super awesome guy. Really happy to have him with us today. John, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great. How are you? Really good. Really good. Thank you for joining. Uh, Let's jump straight into Build for Impact. And uh, let's let's go back to the the stuff that you and I have both contributed huge to, um, and that's sustainability. And I know that your, your mix with sustainability started early, so... Let's share with the audience um, some of those experiences in the in the in the pathway um, to kick off our first pillar. Great. Well, um, Mike, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in private practice before I kind of had done the recent couple of um, uh, uh, work related paths. So I was at uh, Methune Architects in Seattle from um, 1994 to 2007. And um, that's really where um, I cut my teeth in uh, some space that now we just think of as being fairly normal. But at the time, I was um, kind of on the forefront of bigger things to come. But I don't think we really knew what was going on at the time because we were just kind of in it and trying to do the right thing. But um, uh, I had the fortune of being able to do a lot of work when I was at Methune for a um, wonderful client called uh, REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, which is a Seattle area-based company. And in 1994, we started doing a flagship store for them in downtown Seattle, which um, um, by the intent of the client and the intent of the architect was going to be a very sustainable building. Although I don't think anybody really knew what was going on <laughs> at the time, again, because it was um, it was such a new thing. And what we did was we... Um, kind of started from nothing. I worked on that project for a little while and then kind of came back to the client um, uh, later on. But um, it was really a um, an integration of architecture and uh, engineering and um, looking at ways to make the building function passively um, with daylighting, with uh, uh, cooling and ventilation, uh, using whatever the current and latest technologies were at the time for energy savings and lighting. And then also getting into materiality issues, which, uh, frankly, at the time, there wasn't a lot of information about. And we were doing research on, on um, uh, uh, you know, on what was sustainable and what wasn't sustainable and what the criteria were. And, um, you know, people really didn't know. And, you know, we actually, you know, through that process, made a few mistakes and made a few good things happen. But um, that part of the, the, uh, the business wasn't really known. Um, after that, um, I had the opportunity to work on a bunch of projects, more, more projects for RAI, but also um, uh, worked on the Islandwood Environmental Learning Center 
And that um, was one of the first lead projects we did at Methune. It was one of the first five lead gold projects in the world. And again, I don't think we really knew what we were doing. We were just trying to make a great um, experience for some primary school kid, uh, age kids that were going to visit this um, facility, uh, which is on Bainbridge Island, an island that's a ferry ride from Seattle. Um, but we ended up doing a um, lead gold on the uh, on the project, and um, you know, again, no one really knew what they were doing. Um, but we sort of stumbled our way through it with the engineers and figured it out because that was the early days of lead. And then subsequent to that, we did a couple of lead projects for REI themselves. So getting into the lead lead space in the retail space, um, one in Portland, Oregon, and one in Pittsburgh. And um, somewhere in and around after that time, I was headhunted by Starbucks and went over there. And as you alluded to before, helped build one of the first um, uh, lead volume programs from scratch. We were we opted into the pilots for both lead volume and uh, lead for retail and certified a whole bunch of stores in a lot of different countries. I spent a lot of time working specifically with countries in Asia in the beginning, um, had really wonderful partners in Japan and Korea and China and Singapore and Thailand um, and uh, as well as, you know, the rest of the world. And that's where I really saw, begin to see the, um, the uh, benefit, advantage, and strength of a rating system. I think, you know, doing it early on, we were just trying to make sustainable buildings, and it was kind of cool that we got them certified. But when you are in a big company that builds lots and lots and lots of projects, um, they don't always have the best handle on the quality of those projects as they're designed and constructed. And what the LEAD program did for us at Starbucks was it gave us rigor and structure and allowed us to build uh, significantly more efficient and sustainable projects on a mass level. So it basically um, created organizational change and that organizational change was, be able, was able to be applied um, in fairly dramatic volume. Uh, and that's where I really started to see rating systems um, as a guide that could, uh, you know, do more than just kind of give you a little plaque to hang on the wall and something to be proud of, but actually, you know, make a difference in how people or how our organization approaches designing and building. It's a really cool, you know, career and perspective on, you know, rating systems. And, and you know, now we've got so many of them um, and, and we have crosswalks between them, which is a really good thing. Uh, you know, by virtue of the fact that you've done so much work globally, uh, you you and I have that common ground there, which which I'm very proud of uh, of earning as well. Um, I think that the the next pillar that I'd like to touch down on is uh, is resilience, and you know by virtue of seeing so much of the planet and different shortfalls and different uh, you know priorities in in all these different places, your thoughts on resiliency, John. Well, at a macro level, it's um, it's encouraging and frightening, both at the same time. I think um, it's, um, you know, we're talking a lot about social justice uh, these days um, on a lot of different um, levels and in a lot of different um, uh, kind of subject themes, so to speak. And um, what's interesting is, is that... Um, I guess my biggest worry is that resilience is going to be the hardest to accomplish um, and to 
uh, react to um, as global climate change continues to steam forward with um, with not as much resistance as we'd like to put toward it. Um, the biggest concern is, you know, for those who are disadvantaged, for sure. Um, I'm not so worried necessarily about, um, you know, the United States for the most part, although we have some very vulnerable vulnerable areas too, and those vulnerable areas tend to be where people, uh, where people of color and people of less means live. Um, so we do need to be aware of that. But um, there's a lot of work happening in major cities in the U.S. and um, in parts of parts of our country where people recognize that this is happening, and even parts where they um, pretend to ignore it but know that it's happening and they're seeing the impacts. Um, but I'm really, really concerned with, you know, what this is going to mean for communities, um, uh, you know, more impoverished, um, less advantaged communities in parts of the world that um, just don't have the resources to react. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time debating whether or not the science is real, um, and that's just a complete utter waste of time. Um, it's real. It's uh, we're we're the primary authors. It's time to get off our horse and figure out what we're going to do about it. Um, we cannot stave off everything that's happening because it's already kind of in motion. So we need to do whatever we can to 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 choke it out a little bit, um, to use a wrestling term, I guess. Um, but also to to make plans for the ultimate reality that um, this is going to affect lots of people. It's going to affect um, uh, it's going to affect um, migration. It's going to you know with people um, people are not going to be able to live and and farm in places. This is already happening um, in parts of the world. Um, I don't think we're ready to address that. And it's just you know the the uh, economic cost of trying to to basically shore up shorelines and deal with mass migration and um, you know all these things that are going to going to happen over the next several decades. So I'm hopeful, um, and I think that um, there there's a mood and a movement in the world that'll hopefully push us in the right direction. But at the same time, it it I think it's it's just another one of those things that exposes uh, the inequity of of um, social and economic status. And I'm just hoping that, that we're, as a species, we're more kind to one another as we move forward. I, I really like the way you connected resiliency and equity. And, and really, uh, it, it's key that we make sure that we haven't, you know, forgotten anything along the way. And, and you know, you were in New York at the beginning of March when we launched our, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Modern Slavery Transparency Declaration. Because of the all of a sudden, responsible uh, countries and organizations are starting to make a move to uh, have you validate that you don't you don't support slavery. Um, and and we came up with a a process through a global green tag in order to do that. And it, you know it's not something we can turn our backs on. And you know by both of us seeing much of the world, we got to see some additional examples of inequities. Um, that we didn't expect to see at home. And, you know, you need to be uh, be considerate of those things as, as part of the movement. You know, uh, I think it's, it's part of sustainability. It's part of resiliency to make sure that we've included and considered um, equity and, and not have, you know, just glossed it over. 
Absolutely. I, th I think it even goes, it, aside from the, the resilience factor and the, uh, the effects of global climate change, uh, it's just a simple reality. Um, if you have money, you don't have to live downwind from the coal plant or the chemical plant. Um, it's just simple economic reality that even in this country, um, the people who have um, bad drinking water tend to be poor people. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. Um, but there should be a basic standard of living um, that's applied no matter what your economic status is. And um, it's a collective effort. You know, it's it's private enterprise and government, and we need to get together and, and make sure that uh, that people have the best chance to be healthy. Yeah, yeah I, I completely concur. And you touched down on water and, you know, uh, being a, a long-term member of the uh, USGBC's um, technical advisory group for water efficiency and chairing the that that group for a long time. Um, you know, one of the pushes I I shared was should we have a prerequisite around minimum water quality? And it's something that we're evaluating. Uh, you, you know, to there's a crosswalk because within the well rating system, which we'll touch down on in a little bit, we have definitive minimum standards for water for people in buildings, and you know. We, we make these changes by starting and, and taking a stand, and perhaps it's one building at a time, but we, we build momentum around that and, and see a change. You know, we see the positives that we've done uh, reflected in the energy code. Uh, you know, I just saw the, the latest version of the 2021 codes that, that have just come out and, and been published. And, you know, now we're on the, the local adoption and amendment stuff. Uh, that's going to go on between now and probably July of next year, hopefully, for everybody to, you know, to get on the same page and enact those new building codes in their jurisdictions. Did you have additional comments on, on, on what I just shared? Well, I think um, just the subject of water in general um, is just starting to get its attention, um, both from quality and scarcity. Um because I think, uh, unfortunately, over the last decade or so, some things have happened um, in the U.S., and that's why people are starting to pay attention to it. But, um, um, you know, the stuff that's happening in, in Michigan with the water quality, um, the, um, the uh, scarcity and drought issues that have happened in California and elsewhere, um, you know, it's just kind of a, it's a signal you know, that things aren't right. So, um, and it's, uh, you know, from a conservation standpoint, you know, um, you know, we're, we're doing a pretty good job in, in that space, but, but still, um, you know, it's the essential thing you need for life. You know, it's like oxygen and water. Um, it's pretty basic. So um, any renewed focus that you, you all have, especially in the tag and other places um, on quality and conservation is a good thing, I think. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, it's it's great that we've got that opportunity to, you know, and we have over the last 10 years, uh, you know, individually and mutually contributed to moving forward the lead rating system and, and you know, and other green building rating systems and wellness rating systems globally. Um, I wanted to touch down on something uh, that, that's one of my pillars of Build for Impact, uh, and that's material transparency. And you touched down on it just as a uh, as a reference uh, earlier when dialoguing about um, you know doing portfolio work in in doing you know sixteen hundred projects and trying to find um, 
you know, items that, that worked. Your your thoughts on material transparency and, and uh, you know, and its importance in, in the, the long-term goals that we would have there? Oh, it's a it's an exciting time, actually. I think it's the, the thing that when when I started really getting into the to the work at Starbucks, that was the hardest for us to get our arms around, um, because there wasn't the basis of information that um, uh, entities like Global Green Tags and others um, have put forth, um, and also the you know just the databases of of all that information, let alone analysis and all the partnerships with the manufacturers and that sort of thing. So when um, when Methune was first looking into this, and I wasn't the person who did any of this, but I remember talking to the person who was um, doing our materials research, you know, in the mid '90s, um, and it was like he was talking a different language to me, and he was he was trying to extract things from books and um, uh, binders and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and you know the information that we have at hand today, like that is. Um, you know, just common, what didn't even exist then. So it's kind of amazing that someone was able to, you know, spend months and months and months researching to actually make some positive, um, positive progress in that space. Um, uh, the thing that I think is, is most exciting is that we're really holistically looking at materials now. I think um, we were pretty successful at Starbucks with looking at um, the basic issues of off-gassing. Um, uh, you know, the basic VOC issues and trying to make healthier spaces. But there wasn't the kind of a full-blown analysis that, that um, um, at that time, the information wasn't available. Now it is. And in fact, I know that they're working on uh, moving forward in that space and trying to do bigger things there. Um, but uh, now you can analyze a product based on so many different things, not just uh, if it has, um, uh, you know, um, dangerous or semi-dangerous um, off-gassing potential, or if it has recycled content, or it has reused content, or or whatever you're looking at. But you can actually look more holistically and look at look at what the the real carbon impact of that product is, and getting into the things like that you were just talking about relative to um, uh, to modern slavery. You know, you can look, you can you can tag things based on on um, uh, the manufacturer and the um, the other, you know the social issues of the workers who put these things together and work in these plants and those things are huge for especially for big corporations because um, you know we have a generation of people coming up um, and you know moving into their um, power and purchasing lives who aren't gonna they're not gonna specify or buy or deal with companies that aren't doing the right thing. So, you know, there's a lot of exposure out there. So I think that's a good thing. Um, you can track that product back to all the things that make it, uh, that uh, go into making it and make sure that, you know, someone's not making a horrible uh, mistake along the line of, of um, the extraction and, and assembly of whatever that product is that, that has um, social inequity written all over it. So, um, there are just so many exciting platforms that are happening um, to where you can aggregate this information and score it. And um, I don't think it's something that, um, you know, I think more of it in terms of retail, because I do a lot of that type of work. But, um, you know, with a, with a retail company, you can, you know, it's not going to happen in two or three months, but in uh, 
the course of two or three or maybe five years, you could probably trace just about everything you supply relative to the build of your space. And um, also with uh, the products that are sold, there's a lot of exciting work going on there um, as well and many different spaces. Um, I think it's possible and potential that, you know, a company over the course of time could probably root out pretty much everything that is harmful or bad or, um, um, you know, the social inequity pieces of things as you move forward. But it's not a short-term play, it's a long-term play. I'm really glad you focused on the long-term play because in reality, you know, we at times are, are, you know, we make calls based on the information that's available to us at the time. And, you know, we keep striving to get more information and do better. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you've got to do the best that you can at that moment in time. You know, it's something that, that I know you have always done, uh, and, and it's something I aspire to do as well. Um, you know, in, in, in that regard, I think we touched down on a bunch of stuff that leads us to sort of the last pillar that I look at within uh, Build for Impact, and that's that's wellness. And, um, you know, you touched down on, on occupying a space for a length of time and not doing any harm to the occupants. Um, your, your thoughts on, you know, on the current wellness movement. I, I know that uh, you're getting more and more involved uh, with the International Wellbuilding Institute. Uh, and uh, I don't want to steal thunder, so I'll hand the mic back to you. Oh, that's great. Um, so, uh I'm kind of right now in practice focusing on a couple different things. I'm focusing on the lead uh, and the volume application, uh, primarily on the retail side. But um, another partnership I have is um, with Jennifer Berthelot Jelovic at ASAP, and we are working with um, a whole series of clients on the expansion of the well, um, uh, uh, the well uh, rating system to portfolios. Uh, so they, IWBI uh, was in um, um, was in pilot with uh, that program up until uh, the end of last year, and now we're starting to, in partnership with them and many others, starting to apply portfolio with some big companies. Um, and I think it's also the other thing that is because all the basically all the themes you're talking about are the current themes. I mean, it's it's um, it's resiliency. It's um, it's materiality and 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 health and health and well-being. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job over the last several decades of figuring out how to how to be efficient. Um, now we're kind of moving more toward uh, people-focused um, solutions and health-focused solutions. But what IWBI's done that's really cool is um, uh, they've come out um, with a, a portfolio system that. Um, allows people to do just what you were talking about a few minutes ago, Daniel, which was basically kind of this continuous improvement sort of thing. So whereas LEAD um, is still really based around a series of prerequisites and guidelines that you just got to nail um, in order to get to a certain level, um, what Portfolio does for uh, the Well Building Institute is it allows you to, as they say, choose your own adventure, um, benchmark where you're at, um, uh, you know, kind of document to the point where you understand what you're currently doing and some things that you can do to, to sort of improve incrementally um, fairly quickly and then set out a 
long-term goal of, of, of how you're going to proceed. And what happens is that you get a portfolio score rather than getting an individual certification for a, a space or building. And you're able to improve on that score by submitting a couple times a year and being compared and benchmarked with other peers who have similar typologies. Um, I think that's going to be long-term going to be a huge um, benefit to corporations because they're going to be able to, um, to, uh, to see where they're at and then improve as they go along. Um, you can cert still certify projects through the system, um, but it's not required. You could choose to certify many projects or you could choose to certify none and just go ahead and get your portfolio score. Um, the focus is also very, um, the focus is also very, um, um, very driven toward uh, policy and procedure and things that have macro impact inside the organization. Um, and I think that in one sense, it's a really a good way to start because then you can, um, you can kind of see what you're already doing and move forward from there. But it's also the acknowledgement and understanding that um, in order for something to be adopted on mass, you need to apply it um, on mass. Um, the other thing that, uh, IWBI has done is they've responded very proactively, as you know, because you were part of um, the task force that, that created this. They responded uh, very proactively to the COVID situation, and they have um, instituted a health safety rating um, that is achievable um, without looking at um, testing or um, kind of prerequisite requirements, but gives you some choices to make. I think there are 21 or so different um, tracks you can go down to get to, um, I think 15 are required to get the health safety rating, but it allows companies to um, analyze what they're doing, make some changes in order to make sure that they can give some um, real and um, frankly perceived assurance to um, uh, their customers and employees that they're trying to make this make spaces safer for them to re-enter. Um, this has also been a great thing um, on the, uh, the consulting side relative to working with clients because it's a fairly narrow scope. Um, it's not really narrow. It's just sort of more focused scope uh, for a company to look at in order to, to determine, um, you know, in order to work toward that health safety rating, um, and which also pairs very well with portfolio. But um, the health safety rating is a great starting point to say, okay, are we doing the important basic things and can we move forward and, and um, make sure that our spaces are, are compliant? So we're also working on several projects um, on the health safety rating side. Um, many of those actually um, uh, uh, geared toward, in, geared inside portfolios. That's, that's really cool. And thanks for, um, thanks for sharing your, your thoughts on the, on the uh, health safety rating. And, uh, you know, what I really enjoyed doing as part of that task force was just sort of evaluating best practices globally. You know, we had almost 600 participants at the end of, of that span of time. We crunched through so much information in such a short span of time. And we had so much focus on let's establish a bar that's the minimum and then let, you know, share that information uh, with, you know, with facility managers and building practitioners so that they understood what the best practices were, if they were there or not, and and helped guide them to make their places healthier and safer. Um, really, really interesting work, really fun to be part of. 
And, you know, it showed that when you rolled up shirt sleeves and collaborated, how much impact you could actually make in, in you know, in such a short span of time. It, literally, we spent three months, you know, from from the initial dialogue about starting this task force to having a, a draft finished product. It, it was amazing. It was really amazing how quick we managed to turn that around. Yeah, it, it is impressive. And it was also necessary. Um you know, people were clamoring for, um, they're cl- clamoring for solutions. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that they were doing, doing right by their people. And, um, IWI basically, um, uh, pretty much just turned the ship in midstream and said, okay, we're not going to continue with our, um, planned launch of version two. We're going to go straight into this because this is what people need. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, in closing on the, on the topic of wellness, from my perspective, uh, today, anyways, I really like the work that, that we've done at IWBI for the version two of the standard. It's become oh, so much more inclusive. You know, it, it, it it's actually established uh, a range of things that you can do, you know, for each of the parameters, uh, the hundred plus parameters that we look at. The other thing that I think is crucially important is we, initiated and continued to perpetuate the fact that we do physical testing of the facility. You know, it's, it's, I do building commissioning and building performance stuff, but the, the, you know, validating that the air quality is good, validating that the water quality is good, validating that the materials are good. You know, um, some of our, our global green tag clients, um, you know, their products are there and, and they fall into that source by Delos mix the job easier for designers and even people who want to retrofit um, their, their project to know that they're going to have, you know, a product that considers the global environmental and human health attributes of, of that product in the final use. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I think that one of the things that IWBI made a conscious decision on was to um, progressively listen to their customers and and try and craft things to, um, um, you know, to make things the most viable for application. And I think version one was a a bit stringent and they heard that and they, um, you know, they decided that they needed to get something that was a little more user friendly and would allow for a broader application. Um, So um, comparing the two, you know, the two versions, version two is definitely, definitely looking in the right direction and, and hugely impactful. Yeah, it's more broad in focus in in my perspective. And I don't think they took a lot of rigor out of it, if any. I think they just educated people on how to get there um, and then looked at how the stuff was maybe too narrow in focus, as you referenced, and, and broaden that uh, that horizon so that you, you had uh, perhaps alternate ways to get there, uh, you know, to ultimately get there. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it's easier. I, I want to say it's more informative on the way through. And I really love the fact that they openly share the standard so anybody can download it and read it. You don't have to be a building practitioner to be concerned about your health. That's true. And same thing with the health safety rating. You can go straight to the uh, IWBI site and you can look at the detail of what that looks like. Um, and um, I think that the open source part of that is is uh, it, that's also another theme that I think you're going to see more of. And I think uh, companies are going to be doing that as well. I know that at Starbucks, it was becoming to be a, 
um, um, uh, necessary part of of uh, that formula. And I think other companies are doing it. And it's, it's super interesting. I mean, when when we started doing the work with Starbucks, um, you know, everybody talked about competitors and that sort of thing. And you know, McDonald's, for instance, was a big competitor um, in theory. Um, uh, but toward the end, um, you know, we were we were partnering with them on um, you know compostable and recyclable cup solutions. So um, that's the other cool thing about our space is I think it's becoming you know you can you can compete hard for business, but um, uh, ultimately people in the sustainability space um, work together when given the opportunity. And I think you're going to see more and more of that too, which is a good thing. Yeah, I like to collaborate on solutions part of it. It's really cool. Yep, more brains are better than uh, than fewer for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I you know I uh, I I know that your uh, schedule is busy. I want to thank you for sharing so much information in our dialogue here for the followers of Build for Impact. Um, and I look forward to our ongoing collaboration. Thank you again, John. Uh, Absolutely. Parting words for our uh, listeners. No, just keep up the good fight and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through all this. Um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm worried, but hopeful. <laughs> so I think we just need to keep fighting. So for followers and listeners of Build for Impact, uh, please send suggestions for stuff you'd like us to cover in future programs and questions as well, if you like. Uh, again, thank you and tune in again soon for another episode of Build for Impact. <laughs>